Is there a future where The Sopranos will one day be lost by newer generations? Perhaps in the oversaturation of streaming services and critically acclaimed TV like Tears and Rain. Welcome to Josh Hasn't Seen The Sopranos. I'm Jared Backens and I'm joined by my two millennial co-hosts, Drew Madden and Josh Fink, as we go through each episode to uncover if The Sopranos should still be considered the best. It's good to be in something from the ground floor. Even though some consider 2020 the golden age of TV, I get the feeling we came in too late for that. We came in at the end. The best is over. Josh hasn't seen The Sopranos. Here we go. All right. Episode three, Denial, Anger, Acceptance. Starting off, we've run two episodes so far. What are you guys' predictions on how long this episode will be? Do you think we could pull off a reasonable time? I'm, I'm feeling confident. I, if I were to be a betting man, I'd say about an hour and uh, 12 minutes. I like that. What do you say, Drew? Uh, hour and 15 doing uh, prices right rules, right? <laughs> uh, no, just whoever's closer. Okay, I'm still going to go for an hour and 15. I'm shooting for an hour <laughs> 10. I think <laughs> I think an hour and 17 is what I'm going to say too. Um, but is it prices right under? Like don't, because you can't go over. Yeah. Oh, I guess. So Drew only has three minutes really if it was prices right rules. It'd be an hour 13, hour 14, or hour 15, I think. And then that's the only way he'd win if it was prices right. Yeah. Well, right? or I guess if, if he is the highest and it's a lot higher than everybody else. I'd like to change my answer to two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Drew it two and a half. <laughs> Hopefully you guys have enough water. <laughs> Did you guys experience this week? I went to go, you know, watch this episode of the Sopranos and realized prime pulled it from, or HBO, I guess, pulled it from Prime. Um, I didn't watch it till yesterday. So I had to, and I used to, um, I got an email. I don't know how I got on HBO's <laughs> email thing. And they're like, purchase HBO Max now and save like $3 a month. And I was like, and I couldn't figure out Prime. I was like, where did it go? Yeah. And, and, and so I was like, well, shoot, I'll just, I'll buy HBO Max. I guess try it out. I'm saving three bucks a month. And then I was able to watch it that way. I was like losing my mind because I was like, I literally watched this a week ago. Uh, no issue. And then it's just, it's gone. It's crazy because I was like looking at it too. There's HBO Max, HBO Go, HBO Now. And then there's channels that tie into the your Prime membership, which might include those or something like that. But I couldn't, I couldn't keep them straight at all, at all. I just pretty much went in and it was like, you don't have The Sopranos anymore. Do you want to buy it for $15 a month? And I was just like, just whatever it costs here. I need to, I need to get it. Podcast is over. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like if we're having a problem with this or just kind of confused about which platform i would think you know other people are probably or like you know if you're a little bit older you're probably having a lot serious or more serious of a problem with it i don't know drew what did you do so i was yeah I was, i'm at my parents house or uh um i'm back at emily's parents house because we had to pick up a few things and uh mm-hmm. as i was looking we have this like dvd case and i was looking through um just like all the, you know, eight seasons of Monk that we, my parents still have, which I'm like, you guys just need to fucking give these to Goodwill. They I, made eight seasons of Monk? I don't know however <laughs> many they have, but we we had the DVDs. So for the whole the whole series, your parents had the DVDs? No, just season one of The Sopranos, which I don't, I don't okay. think they've seen The Sopranos. So yeah, I've been going old school, <laughs> old school. I like it. It's just like total boomer thing to get the DVDs on something. Um, at least they didn't have laser disc. <laughs> I was okay paying for it though, just 
you know, not proud of this, but just like my fear of illegal streaming over the years when I was much younger. I think, Drew, we probably watched the first few seasons of Game of Thrones just by like finding spotty episodes of it on the internet. Yeah, just like, <laughs> thanks mom and dad for the computer for college. Hope this doesn't just be like a <laughs> terrible virus. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was so I, I'm okay. I'm okay with paying for it now. Um, only one piece of follow up I have today, Josh, I noticed 12 Angry Men is on Amazon Prime. So that's one of my favorite movies. Did you actually watch it? I have seen it. I, I watched it. Uh, I think it was in seventh grade. Might have seen it twice. We had to watch it in, in class, but no, it is a good movie. Um, I, haven't, I, love it. I haven't seen it recently, though. Well, it, it'd be one to check out for free on Amazon Prime. One thing I want to talk about before we dive into the episode, I want to hear what we'll define it as just because this is what our whole podcast series about is about. But we're asking, you know, is The Sopranos the best series of all time? It'd be good if we actually define what that means. So what do we think makes a TV series the best ever? Josh, do you have any idea? Well, I'm not an artist, so I can't use uh, that that <laughs> opinion. But uh, I mean... You're an everyman. <laughs> yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an everyday guy. And from, you know, a common man's perspective, just something that keeps you entertained. And, it, and it's kind of interesting where now we have so much content and the the way content's released now is they just drop it all at once, at least through Netflix or Amazon prime. But the beauty is building that suspense through the week, um, making you like really making it part of everyday culture. Um, I know we talked about this and might've been the last podcast or the first one, but I remember, you know, people on the radio, uh, on the morning show, driving into to school, talking about the Sopranos and it kind of was a part of the culture for, I don't know, eight, nine years, however long it was going on and uh, staying power. I think that's obviously two of the big things that help make a, a series, um, especially from the common eyes. And then if uh, from critically acclaimed, you know, that's also important. And this has, you know, so many Emmy uh, Golden Globe nominations uh, and a few wins and just the actors are, you know, it's not one man's opinion, but it's basically universal that this is one of the better scripted, directed um, shows, edited shows of all time. So uh, I think all those components have to go into it to to make it a great show. Maybe not, maybe not the cultural aspect because there's probably some great shows that have happened that didn't capture the nation's attention. Um, but I think for it to be the greatest, that probably has to happen. Yeah. So what I got, obviously. A culture aspect helps, but staying power, I think, is huge. I mean, people are watching it 20 years later and still talking about it as in-depth. I mean, we spend eight hours a week or whatever doing it. And then being universal, I think, is essential, too. It doesn't... I mean, you can make some pretentious or highbrow TV show and, and claim it's the best ever, but maybe maybe only the staff of NPR likes it at that point. Like, if, every, if everybody's not absorbing it, then it is it the greatest ever? Drew, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I was going to say just um, a sh- uh, different answer would just be most like most entertaining and then most emotionally captivating. Like um, with The Wire, I was just uh, really attached to the characters. I think characters really make a show. And then, I mean, I think The Sopranos uh, takes the cake for 
having the most influence. But I think beyond that, just being the most entertaining, the most captivating, the most just like sad when it's when it's over, like you're it's like a part of your life, like when when Game of Thrones in the first seasons was so good. And you're just like this. I'm just so excited for this. I'm so happy. It's like in my life. And then in the end, you're just like, let's wrap this fucking thing up and just you know <laughs> ship it off so, into, that's a, that's something you don't want in a tv show yeah i mean ending you know my my biggest gripe with with tv shows is they just go on too long to make money mm-hmm. and they don't end when they should yeah entertaining and emotionally captivating yeah i was kind of thinking also like with like when steph curry won the two mvps he's not like as good as lebron but he was he was really changing the game of basketball and i think Sopranos yeah. does the same thing, but maybe is it the best? I don't know. Up, up for debate. We'll find out. But so that's an artist perspective. So I feel like that we should, <laughs> we should focus on that. That's pretty good. About The Wire. And I think that, I mean, I've gone back and forth on what, what series I think is the better of the two, The Wire or The Sopranos. But I think The Sopranos reaches a level of more, it's a more universal TV show. It's more, more of the masses digest it and it's not because it doesn't have sophisticated material it does it has all that but then it also it has a story that you can embrace and digest each each episode so i love those i think the things that i want to differentiate from that i think the majority of people have to think have to think favorably of it maybe they don't all think it's the best but the majority of people have to think it's up there and i mean the sopranos it reached a high i mean it was the most watched tv show on HBO until so like in 2002 it set the record or 2001 or something and then until later seasons of Game of Thrones and Game of Thrones through I mean there's probably like a billion more people in the world when Game of Thrones came on uh they threw everything at us they had much more diverse cast they had dragons they had nudity in every episode and then finally it got it got broken by Game of Thrones so I think that speaks volumes that a show of a bunch of overweight white guys from New Jersey is somehow that universal and brought in so many viewers there. There's a point too, and this is the last thing I'll say about it, but in these first few episodes, this episode included too, I think The Sopranos was still in the shadow of these classic gangster movies, which to be honest, a lot of these classic gangster movies are probably more watched by men and they'd probably be more white men that are really getting into Goodfellas and Godfather and things like that. But so it's still in the shadow of those, but it does reach a point, I think, pretty soon where it's going to leave that shadow and it transcends that. It uses, I think, America's infatuation with the mob to tell a story about American life and middle America and family. And it's in this story that's approachable for every everyone. So, I I mean, I'm, I'm really excited for when we get to that point. So let's get into let's get into the actual episode. Denial, anger, acceptance. What let's go with the core first. What do you guys think the core of this episode is? Those few words that that really describe the theme. Drew, why don't you go first? Give me one second. Um, except this goes into the end of um, end of the episode. But when Melfi says like, "Why we know we're going to die?" Yeah. So is that? I mean, yeah, that's part of the tragedy of it. We actually are inflicted with the knowledge that we're going to die from the very start. So yeah, I guess yeah, I think inflicted with the knowledge that we're going to die. I think that's a good summary of this episode. Yeah, maybe and to, to jump off that, just uh, even though Tony Soprano says, you know, I'm not afraid to die, I think everything that's going around him, he's 
he's kind of taking a second look and thinking like, okay, I might've been this invincible mobster, you know, a few, a few months ago, but now he's having those panic attacks. He's fainting. I think it's just a realization that, you know, he, he is not immortal. Like, uh, you know, coming to grips with his own morale, um, uh, um, mortality, uh, and that, you know, life doesn't go on forever. So what's the core? Probably beginning of acceptance of his fate. Beginning of acceptance and then in parentheses of his fate. So it's a little bonus there. Okay. <laughs> so I had slightly more time to think about it. I, when I sat down, um, before I wrote it down, but I just wrote, is life meaningless? I think that's a, a question they ask. And Tony's really pondering throughout this episode and we'll get into that, but so Drew, your core inflicted with the knowledge we're going to die, beginning of acceptance of his fate for Josh, and then is life meaningless for me? Josh, why do you think the episode was called Denial, Anger, Acceptance? Uh, I think that's just kind of how it how it flows. Um, and I think a lot of it is centered around, at least for the title, um, is c- centered around uh, Jackie. Um, I think, especially with the interactions between Tony um, and Dr. Melfi, you know, it starts off with Tony saying like, you know, Jackie's so strong. And then she's like, what's going on? And it's like, oh, he's dying. And he, Tony just really can't accept it because they're really good friends. Yeah. They're business partners. Um, and then he's denying it. Like, no, like he's not going to die. He's, Jackie will, will, will beat this cancer away. And then finally comes to realization talking to Dr. Melfi like, so doc, how bad is it? He kind of jumps back into denial when she says it's probably not very good. That's where I kind of got the title of the episode and how it related to, I guess, the whole theme of the show or of the episode. I think he nailed it. So those are three of the five stages of grief, but he has a therapy session for each one. Like you said, he's in that first, he has that denial session. He has that one where he flips out on her in his anger session where he walks out and then he has that acceptance session at the end where he, you know, he realizes that life has a time limit on it and ponders if it's meaningless after all that. So that's good. What did uh, what'd you guys think of the episode? I liked it a lot. I thought Sopranos was kind of, I thought it was like hitting its stride a mm-hmm. bit more, you know, more character development, more um, understanding of Tony's depression. He's like kind of hitting, uh, if Jackie dies, he's hitting this like mountaintop and it's like also hitting probably his like deepest depression that he's felt and like understanding of it. And then, yeah, you kind of see the, some anti-hero qualities in Carmela, and I really liked that part of it. Just think it's really starting to, I was really captivated by this episode. I agree. This out of the three that I've watched, this was by far my favorite. Um, Mm -hmm. And that probably just comes with it building off the other two and starting to understand and learn the characters more and more. I just really enjoyed it. And I think it, it really set the stage, you know, for the, the future of the season and where things are going to go. I mean, there are definitely some question marks, but we got some things answered. Like we knew, uh, we knew that, uh, Brendan was going to die at some point and that, that kind of got, well, you called that. I mean, yeah, I guess it might've been obvious, but you called that last episode. I was like, Oh damn, go Josh. <laughs> well, he's just so, in my opinion, he's so reckless and like, yeah. even, even, even <laughs> though, even though they are a mob, they kind of have discipline as a way, but yeah, it started to kind of answer some questions and, and, and move on and, and show that the, the show is gaining steam. And I was, I was excited about that and really made me excited to watch episode number four. Are you guys plus one still watching the show? I'm three for three so far, but 
I have, a, I have a feeling it's going to fade fast. You got you got to keep her in there. It's going to be every she can do whatever she wants, obviously. But I think every episode from here, it really it steps more and more out of the shadow of of gang relationships and more. It becomes much more than a gangster show. What about you, Drew? Yeah, Emily's Emily's still here and she's she's digging it. When we first started dating, she didn't. It was so hard to get her to watch like a movie. <laughs> and like since then, our that's like one of the things in our relationship that I've been like very pleasantly surprised about is just like <laughs> she'll watch basketball with me happily and uh, watch these shows. So she's really enjoying it. I remember. So I first I watched it before I watched it with Lizzie, and then we watched it together a few years ago now. But we were actually in like doing a, a European vacation. We were in Spain. And when we had downtime at night or on our flights or something, we'd watch an episode. And it's a few more episodes down the line. I think it's like episode eight or nine in this season. But we were somewhere in Spain and Lizzie was just like, I'm getting really into The Sopranos now. And it became kind of a thing of our trip to like, you know, we would do stuff during the day. and the, But then at night, it'd be like, oh, well, we're, we're back kind of early. I guess we'll we'll just watch an episode now. <laughs> So we're like in Spain and, and that's how, how we spent our evenings in the trip. And I wouldn't have had it any other way. It was it was just amazing to explore that. So, I mean, you, you guys talked about the themes of this episode a little bit. And I do think it's hitting more and more of its stride each time along. Do you guys think like this topic of the meaning of life is too heavy handed for mainstream TV? I, I feel like you don't see that as early in a TV series that often. Yeah, it's kind of it's, it's kind of easy to like shank this question too, you know, mm-hmm. if you don't do it in the right way, it just seems like so corny, but um, the way that they're presenting it, it just really hits home um, from the view of, you know, this mob boss character that everyone can kind of relate to. Yeah. And I think that's the point uh, that I took away from it, Drew, is that everyone's trying to relate to him. And I'm sure the target audience was probably, and I think we touched on this last week, but you know, it was probably 40 to 60 year old, you know, white men just like Tony who are in that (laughs) stage of life where uh, having midlife crises, uh, you know, Y2K is coming up uh, at the time. And so it's very, very relatable. And, you know, depression is pretty big issue in the United States. Um, I don't think it's gone away from that time. And, you know, medication still has a stigma. So I think it's just a very relatable topic and they might as well touch on it. And I don't know the age of the writer when he wrote the show, but he's probably uh thinking about it as well yeah he must i think david chase might have been in his 50s when he created it but i mean he's been open about that like he had a lot of depression and he grew up in new jersey and he wasn't in the mob but he you know some of the characters that are floating around this series he you know came into contact with some extent yeah he brings a lot of that and i think depression has gotten a lot worse let's shift gears let's let's get into the episode a little bit so starts off with Tony's nephew, Chris, and then Brendan, his dumb friend, drop off the Comley truck. Shout out, it's a gift from Tony Soprano, which, I don't know, when they said it, I thought that was kind of a careless thing to say, but. Yeah, I thought, I thought, I thought so too. I thought Tony would be pissed. It's like, yeah. hey, we're doing this under the radar, you know? And it's like, hey, it's a gift from Tony Soprano. It's like, yeah. <laughs> all right. Three shots in the air. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> I know, they, like, sh- they fire a gun after they kill a guy on like the the botched hijacking in the previous episode. Um, But then, yeah, just, you know, Brendan just being the smartest guy ever just does drugs in the car. Uh, Chris actually shows some more leadership here. You know, he, he tries to get Tony's perspective on the pressure that uncle junior is putting on him too. But 
I don't think I've mentioned this yet, but Christopher's played by Michael Imperioli, which he's actually an actor in Goodfellas as well. He plays Spider in Goodfellas, which is a great role. Which, Drew, you'll discover that one day. <laughs> the next uh, next scene, Uncle Junior's and, and his uh, secondhand man, Mikey, are at dinner. And Mikey tells him about the calmly trucking incident. He said, yeah, they said to tell Tony thank you, which pisses Junior off because he's the one that made Tony bring that truck back. Uh, Mikey gets all you know, fired up, you know, he wants to, he wants to put a hit on Christopher and junior has this great line, like, take it easy. We're not making a Western here. Question for both you guys, I guess here. So, um, Dominic Canese, who plays junior here, he's also in a famous gangster movie. Either of you guys have a guess. Is it good fellas? I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah. Funny. I haven't seen too many gangster movies. I don't know. Casino. It's a, it's a good guess. What's the newest one that came out? The Irishman. Yeah. Is that your guess? Well, I've only seen the first hour of that one. I was like, this is, I was watching it at a friend's house. I was like, this is good. I got to watch this in one sitting, but I had to leave. And then I just haven't watched it. I mean, the last hour is probably the best, but yeah, it is three and a half hours. <laughs> um, he's in Godfather part two, so he's much younger, but he's just an amazing actor. I, I, I love him. In Melfi's office, Tony's looking at a painting of a barn. Drew, what imagery did you pull out of the barn? Did you pull out anything? Not really. I mean, it's just like, I mean, I'm looking at that painting too, just like, hmm. huh, who's, who's, drawn, <laughs> who's drawn to this kind of... This, this, this special made psychological picture. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, yeah. Who would buy that? Yeah, first of all. I but. mean, people do. <laughs> so Tony's that, it irks him. Some, he sees something in it that he doesn't like and he, you know, he's you know, ripping into Melfi, that special made psychological picture, he says, like the Korshak test, which he gets confused with the Rorschach, which is the inkblot test that therapists use. They'll like show someone an inkblot and say, you know, what do you guys think this is? Tony has a great line. So Melfi asks what the picture says to him. And he says, it says, hey, asshole, we're from Harvard. And what you, what do you think of this spooky, depressing barn and this rotted out tree we put here? <laughs> which I, I love that shows kind of the education differences there. Um, but Melfi goes in, she asks if it's depressing and scary to him. And he says, not to me, which, I mean, I think Tony's lying. I think he's always lying. This is his denial therapy session. So he goes in to start talking about his friend, Jackie April, who's the head of the New Jersey pr- crime family right now. But he's, he says, you know, he's not worried about Jackie who has cancer. Um, he's so mean, he'll sca- scare the cancer away. So he's, he's still in that denial stage of that depression. At the hospital, they, they go see Jackie first. Mikey Jr.'s secondhand guy is there and he's, you know, being really depressing about the whole thing saying, you know, they check if you have air in your veins when they hook you up to the, um, to the IVs and things like that. And just shows really good way to demonstrate how unlikable of a character he is. And then Tony and his crew of Hesh, Polly and Silvio arrive and they immediately cheer Jackie up. You can see Jackie lights up when he sees them. Um, and Tony rips into Mikey immediately, immediately. Hey, Mikey, nice to see you again in men's clothing. But then Mikey makes a comment about Vesuvio, that restaurant blowing up, showing that, you know, maybe people know a little bit more about it than um, than Tony initially thought. Um, obviously, getting Silvio to blow that up in the pilot episode. Silvio talks about um, the Jewish motel owner, uh, Shlomo Teitelman, who's having trouble with his son-in-law. He wants his to re- he wants to be able to his son-in-law to divorce his daughter but his son-in-law is demanding that he gets 50% of the motel. So Silvio brings that up. Uh, 
there's a great moment when Polly suggests, you know, why don't they they whack him? Like he gestures that. And Silvio says, eh, it's it's taboo for their religion. Like whacking someone is just taboo for for Jews and, and not any other religion. We go to a new story and it's Meadow, Tony's daughter and her friend Hunter singing. They're getting excited for college, et cetera. They, they do choirs and extracurricular. I don't know. I find the I still find the high school scenes a little dorky. I the characters are always saying exactly what they mean. The Sopranos really hasn't, in my opinion, hit this family dynamic as well quite yet. Tony and Carmelo go to visit uh, Charmaine and Artie Bucco. Artie's the restaurant owner at their small house that they really don't um, they don't think very highly of the house. In the garage, Artie mentions he's having trouble getting insurance money for the restaurant fire, which we see a moment. I. I think it's a really powerful moment where Tony actually looks like he feels bad for it. Um, did you guys catch that or what'd you think of that? Well, doesn't he apologize in a way? Like he says, I'm sorry. And the way that we see it, it almost seems like, or is that later on? But either way, he says, I'm sorry. And it almost sounds like he's saying, I'm sorry for doing it. But from uh, yeah. Artie's perspective, it's like, oh, like, yeah, thanks for condolences on the restaurant. But yeah, that was like a very moment of humanity for Tony. Yeah, and I, I'm not quite sure. If, I, I think you're right. And I don't know if Tony knows if there was a better solution, but he he feels sorry for the whole situation. At the pork store, uh, Tony meets Shlomo Teitelman and his son. Um, he's the, the father and son who own the motel. Tony offers he'll help get Teitelman's son-in-law, or he'll get him to agree to divorce the daughter but Tony, in exchange, wants 25% of the hotel. This is good for Tideman because his son-in-law is asking for 50%. Tideman's son gets angry and he says his father is creating a golem. And I love this Im- imagery. I didn't quite know what it meant, but then I, I looked it up. My mind just went to uh, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or or the Pokemon. I think there was a Pokemon named Gollum too. But pretty much it's being in Jewish folklore that's created from inanimate matter. And I think it's had good and bad occurrences through the folklore, but it's pretty much creating something out of nothing, which is what Tidelman does. He really empowers Tony to, he brings Tony into his life, which is this, this really this monster he's putting into his life. So this story with the, uh, the motel and Tony and things like that, two critics I really like uh, in one of their books about the Sopranos are Alan Sepinwall and Matt Zoller Seitz. They call it the mob case of the week, which early on in, in the Sopranos, they, it felt a little bit like this. It's just like, oh, the new week. Like last week, it was Big Pussy and Polly looking for the car. This week, it's like, oh, the, the Jewish motel kind of thing. It's just like the new case, like an episode of, I don't know, Law and Order or something. Um, so it's a, it's a very epi- episodic feel, it seems like. And, and they do a good job tying it into the other stories of this episode. But it is like the one episode mob case of the week. It also seems to add, you know, bring a little bit of humor and lightheartedness to it as well. You know, even though they are doing some questionable things, but uh, you know, it, <laughs> they get they get to add in a, a little bit of uh, jokes and uh, you know, uh, when, well, I'm sure we'll get to it in a second. But you know, there's there's just some funny things that happen. Yeah, it's like what what do mobsters do for a living? You know, <laughs> it's like. No, you're you're right. I and I I love the color it gives to the characters. Um, I just I think it's a little formulaic early on, and I think it just evolves into something more, a lot more substantial. 
side note, Titleman is played by an actor named Chuck Lowe, who is a guy in Goodfellas as well. Um, and I'm, I'm only calling these out as I notice them when I'm watching it too. So I'm sure there's like several more uh, actors that I'm not catching up on. Um, so Polly and Silvio, Tony's guys, meet uh, Titleman's son-in-law at the motel and they, you know, try to bring up the the prospect of getting divorced too. And, and the son-in-law won't move at all. So they, so they beat him up. In the Soprano bedroom, great moment. Car- Carmela asks, you know what, to Tony? And Tony says, probably not, which is, <laughs> I thought was a pretty relatable interaction. Um, but she tells him about, there's they're hosting a fundraiser at the house um, and she wants the Artie and Charmaine Bucco to um, help with the fundraiser and provide the food just because she feels bad for them. Meadow's playing music really loud. So we cut over to Meadow and Hunter in their room and they're trying to score some crystal meth to apparently help them study for the SATs and things like that, as you know, normal high schoolers do. And Carmela comes in, they they play like they're studying and everything. Later, Carmaine inst- or sorry, Carmela instructs Charmaine about the fundraising event. So there's and this is where we notice there's clear differences between them. Uh, Carmela beckons over their housekeeper, and it's like a very vivid image of her beckoning her over. We go to Chris and Adriana's uh Meadow and Hunter come over to get the crystal meth. So Adriana's Christopher's girlfriend, who we haven't seen much of her yet. Um, Chris tells them no, but after they leave, Adriana convinces Chris to give them some so that they don't have to go to the streets to get it. And really, and Brandon's there too, and he's really just a piece of shit the whole time. Did you guys catch any likable traits in Brendan? Not, not, not any traits that I would like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess he's high energy and. You know, obviously, obviously, he's obviously. an energy guy. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's got a lot of energy. Yeah, get in there, Brendan. Yeah, I was a little confused too at this part. They they refer to meth as speed, and I'm not totally clear on what speed or meth are. But I was like, oh, if they're trying to get speed, that doesn't sound quite as bad. But they're I, they're looking for like some degree of amphetamine, right? To just yeah. get them fired up to study. Yeah, apparently. I got that part, but. Uh, yeah, just thinking of two high schoolers that it's like, I'm sure that, that, you know, that definitely happens doing meth in high school for some people, which is unfortunate. But I feel like even though Meadows connected to the mob, she should know better. That was the only part of the episode that kind of bothered me. Well, she goes to a good high school and I don't know, maybe it's a 90s thing or maybe that was more of a thing. I mean, people weren't really doing meth in my high school. No, I mean, people are doing like Adderall in college, which I guess yeah. is- Tony arranges for a stripper to see Jackie. Um, so she's dressed as a nurse. He thinks it's a nurse the whole time. And the real funny part happens in the the next scene where Tony tells Melfi how they, you know, he had a party and they cheered him up. And she says, you know, that was nice of you to have a party for your friend. Just like trying to like. It's kind of funny. And then Tony goes, yeah, I came back uh, like an hour later with some beers and joined in. So I got some booze, you know, we hung out and she's like, that was nice of you to have a party. <laughs> Like, all right, all right, Tony. So this is the anger therapy session. We saw his denial in the last one. This is where he reaches that anger. So he explains Jackie's condition to Melfi, and she tells him it doesn't sound good. And Tony's clearly emotional, and he's hiding back anger. But she mentions she mentions something pretty interesting. You know, we're getting closer to your true feelings here. You know, he says, you know, I already told you my true feelings, which I think is another lie. 
and she says, you know, there's nothing in the painting to indicate it rotted out. And Tony says, you know, I, I knew that painting was a fucking scam. And then he just flips out and leaves. And I, I, I thought this was, this was a brilliant scene. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, bravo to Melfi for, I mean, she must feel like a civic duty to help him because, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't, I don't think you're supposed to talk to your therapist like that. Or I don't know if they'd cancel the next session if you flip yeah. out on her. <laughs> so you need to chill for a session. Yeah. I was going to say back to like the barn and the imagery of that. It's just like the, the fear of the unknown. And then like, also when you like don't know something and then like with like other art or something, if people are like, Oh, it's like so wonderful. And you're like, I have no fucking idea. (laughs) Like, I just don't get it. You know, like I, a bunch of us went to see once upon a time in Hollywood and like, just like across the board, like people like it was so good like quentin tarantino's a genius and then there were a couple that were just like as so long you know and it's just like whenever you're in that second category where you like you know you just feel stupid and you feel like it's like i want to get that pleasure out of it you know and and you see tony's like anger with the unknown frustration and like fear and it just boils over yeah i think that's a really good point because i think we've all been in that situation other some are better at pretending they get stuff than others but yeah that's that's an awesome point i really like that in the soprano house later uh christopher delivers the drugs to meadow uh carmelo comes in and meadow pretends you know chris is having meadow ask her friend hunter out and carmelo has a great line christopher you keep that asshole away from that child uh meaning brendan as the asshole i don't really weird like yeah great cover yeah well that it's like this is a little sketchier than like, like how, like Christopher's got to be like 25, 30. I would think, you know, Brendan's the same age. Meadow's 15. Her friend's 15. I don't know if that was a times thing or if that just always was as sketchy as it is now. Um, that was pretty weird. Artie Bucco and Char- his wife Charmaine get angry talking about the Sopranos. Um, you know, Artie wants to take money from them. Charmaine's still this moral compass of the show. Uh, you know, really doesn't want to. She doesn't want to have to owe the Sopranos anything. And then at the fundraising party at the Sopranos house, Carmela orders Charmaine around. She beckons her over like she beckons the housekeeper. And we all notice it too, but clearly Carmela doesn't notice it. Cut from the fundraising party to Silvio and Polly and the, the mob case of the week, kidnapping the, the Jewish son-in-law. And he's already resisting getting into the trunk. He, like They like try to put him in. He like slams it shut for them, which is just... It was just kind of a great, great comical gags there. I like the, I think we glossed over that part, but I, I like the part where they say, he's like, say bulkies, Polly. That's how they oh, say yeah. nothing. And he's like banging the, banging the yeah. bell, on, the his bell head. on his head. And uh, yeah, it's kind of like, like Emily, my girlfriend during those parts is like, like she'll like look away. She's like, oh God. And like, can't, yeah. can't watch. And it's just like shows the kind of brilliance of the show. How, how, fucking funny it is and also at the same time how gruesome it is you know like yeah the the bell scene that the, it was the the pointy part of the bell he was slamming into his head yeah it's it just awful yeah it's horrible but that that was a good call out too it was also a funny moment back at the party uh we see art Artie uh preparing all the food for it he expresses how s- sad he is that he lost his restaurant to tony um and they get into a, a food fight here which when Artie first threw the food into tony i don't know i was i was kind of i was like oh shit like this is this is pretty serious here 
but it, get, it gets childish pretty quick and it's, I don't know, a great scene, I think, just showing Tony's childish side again. I mean, I think, Jared, we've had those moments in college where we're <laughs> like halfway getting super pissed at each other and halfway. Was it know? playing 2K10? Yeah. Uh, just like screaming obscenities at each other. <laughs> yeah. Or just being competitive, you know, yeah. play, but playing whatever. Um, but yeah, you're kind of like not knowing what they're, what they're thinking. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think they know either. I mean, yeah, it's, it's great to just kind of show their friendship. Uh, we go back to Silvio and Polly and they're, they're beating up the, the son-in-law, but he fights back and, uh, Sylvia has a great line. Polly, if we don't kill this prick, we should put him to work. We go to Tony with his Gumar and it's actually played by a different actress than the pilot episode. But Silvio calls Tony and tells him that he needs to come over to the pork store to help with the situation there. Tony catches a painting here. Uh, and, uh, his girlfriend has a funny line, you know, it reminds me of David Hockey, meaning David Hockney. So there's a chair all alone in this, in this painting. I wasn't able to really draw anything else from it. Drew as an artist. I was going to, I was, was going to say, who's David Hockney from what I Googled about him. He's a, an artist and it was an imitation of him. Gotcha. Yeah. I don't know. Empty chair. What's the, you know, what's the meaning of, of that, like a, mm-hmm. an object with no, no purpose kind of like if no one's sitting in it, can't think of anything else. I, I mean, I think, I think that's it. I mean, and we are, I mean, who knows too, but I think it was, that was chosen with some obvious intent behind it too. Um, just knowing how carefully put together the show was, uh, Tony makes it to the pork store. He's still in his robe. He goes up. Silvio's eating a sandwich, which is great. You know, they, they try to force the son-in-law to go with their demands too. And he, he tells a pretty amazing story, I think, um, which I thought was awesome. But he tells about 900 Jews who held off 15,000 Roman soldiers who chose death before enslavement. And he asks, you know, and the Romans, where are they now? And I thought that was a great way to express really what he was going through, but also without him explicitly saying it, you know, he tells this amazing story, but Tony has a great rebuttal when the son-in-law asks where the Romans are now. Tony says, you're looking at them asshole, which is awesome. Tony calls his Jewish associate Hesh to figure out what's the best way to communicate with the son-in-law figures out that threatening to cut off his, his penis is the way to go, (laughs) you know, finish, finish the bris. You know, I thought it would have been obvious for like mob guys, like, all right, we can't kill a guy. What what's what are we gonna do to him now? I thought that would have been the go-to is to like threaten to castrate him, but they probably wanted to bring Hesh into it to get Tony consulting with him. And who knows how how many people are just that, you know, settled with the idea of dying. You know, they who they might not have run into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I mean they were all surprised with how steadfast um the jewish son-in-law was with with the whole situation i don't think you know i think people just caved to their demands pretty easily carmela and charmaine clean up after the party carmela is talking you know she really wants to see her friend charmaine more often charmaine's clearly uneasy and as her reaction to this she has this this great burn where she tells carmela that several years ago she slept with tony and she's happy with the choice she made you know they went their separate ways She's content with her life, which I thought was just an amazing, amazing burn. Back at the motel um, in the mob case of the week, Titleman 
uh, the father tries to get Tony out of the agreement they made because now the son-in-law is only taking 15%. So Tideman thinks, you know, he's the savvy businessman. He can figure it out, but he's created this golem in Tony and there's no way Tony is not taking his 25%. Tony goes to see his friend Jackie April at the hospital and he tells him, you know, this great news. They're now in the motel business. They have 25% of this motel. But it's it's really powerful scene. Jackie's distracted this whole time. You know, here's this mean murderer who would have like jumped at any monetary gain, like a hotel or something like that. And he's just a shell of his former self. And I mean, it goes into the theme again. It's just, what does anything matter if we all reach this point at some point in our lives? And that's a depressing way to look at it. But I think that's how Tony's starting to think about it. So I thought that was a great scene. Next Junior goes to see Livia, which thank God Livia is in this episode. Love every scene she's in. Uh, but he's telling her about his problem with Christopher and Brendan Filoni kind of walking all over him. Livia says, you know, Tony loves Christopher like a son and she does too. You know, he put up my storm windows for me one year. But then she says, you know, the other one, Filoni, I don't know. I mean... Josh, did Livia know what she was doing? I think she exactly she knew exactly what she was doing. And I was kind of surprised that Junior didn't I don't know if he was almost going there out of respect asking her opinion, but it was mm-hmm. it almost seemed like the obvious choice was, yeah, let's probably not push the boundaries too far and kill Tony's nephew, but Brendan, he's he's got no worth, so that would be one, send a message and and two, kind of actually do Tony a favor in a way too because if you can get that bad influence removed from uh, his nephew's life, that might make the kill two birds with one stone type of situation. But yeah, yeah. I think uh, she she definitely knew what was going on. She, she made the decision and she seemed totally okay with it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. She, she okays the hit pretty much. Um, so it is, it is interesting. Junior is, is going there for her permission in a way, but I like what you said too, is it has potential to benefit Tony, you know, this, the slap on the wrist, you know, killing someone in, in Tony's crew though, is not going to reflect well on Tony at first. Um, but as, as a long-term gain, that's, that's a really interesting point. Getting Filoni just out of the picture. Tony's last therapy sessions, his acceptance therapy. So he's had the denial and anger. He opens up about his friend Jackie after that incident he had with him in the hospital when Jackie didn't really seem present. Tony reflects on his admiration of the Hasidic Jew, the son-in-law, and how he wasn't afraid of death. And I think, and Tony brings up what, what's going to be really a theme in kind of his his mantra for a lot of it, but he's not afraid of death if it's for something, which I think he is able to commit these horrendous crimes because he sees himself as, you know, he sees himself as this soldier or this advocate for, you know, his people. And that's how he he's able to, I guess, live with the fact that he commits these horrendous crimes. But when he does say he's not afraid of death, I wasn't sure if he, he was lying or not. I mean, what are your guys' thoughts on this on this whole acceptance therapy session? Uh, I think he is afraid of death. I mean, I think he I took I, or at least I took it when he says, yeah, if like you're a war, if you're in a war or something, I wouldn't. Mm-hmm didn't sound like he valued his career as a soldier in the, in the mob as something to, you know, say a soldier in world war two. But um, I think that was kind of touched on in the first two episodes where 
he's trying to get back the mob to where it lost its way. But uh, I think he's still struggling with, uh, with the whole acceptance thing. Um, and I don't think he found closure yet. Yeah. He's, I think he's, he's still lying. He's lying about it. He think he is afraid. Yeah. It's kind of like when you, <laughs> when you do look at like one of those, you know, pieces of art and then you're like, Oh, I get it. And you're just like, I have no fuck. Like, I don't think Tony gets any, you know, I don't think he's happy and I don't think he's really I think he is afraid of death. And I think he's not, ex- I mean this, you know, the scene or a couple scenes before his mom's like plotting against him, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's interesting the whole therapy thing, right? Cause it's everything we know about Tony is he's all about the quick fixes. You know, it's like, Oh, well, it's, we're going to chop this guy's dick off to get him to do what we want. We're going to just whack the guy. But therapy is, it's a long-term, uh, it takes a while for it to work. You know, he thinks like, oh, boom, I got the Prozac. Um, so uh, I'm healed. I don't have to keep going to this doctor. And she's like, well, no, it's the talking that helps. You know, we got to dig down. So he's just mm-hmm. trying to speed up the whole situation. And I think he's trying to do that in everything in his life. But I think coming to the acceptance that he has a lot to work on. I don't think he's there yet, but I think he's slowly getting there. Um, it's in this scene too. Drew Melfi says that, you know, humans are given the questionable gift of knowing they're going to die. I mean, I like knowing, I feel like if, if humans didn't know that, you know, people would be a lot lazier It'd be like, Oh, why, why are you still on the couch today? It's like, I don't know. I'll do it tomorrow. I, I have as many days as I need. So I'm glad I'm glad we do know that, but it is quite a conundrum. You know, I was talking to Emily about uh, this too. And I was like telling her um, when I was a kid, I would like think about dying. And then I would think about, you know, they tell you like the sun's going to explode or, you know, you're in like third grade when you're studying um, astrology and um, or astronomy. Which one? Yeah, I think astrology is like Mercury's in retrograde, but I think astronomy is the stars. Yeah. So anyways, when you're like setting the planets, but I remember thinking like, you know, after you die and then like when the earth is gone and I would just like think about like the earth turning, but not being there. And it was kind of like my, my first memory of thinking about like humans not existing anymore or, you know, the like kind of like our death and then like the meta death of the planet, just thinking like what happens, you know? Whoa. I mean, it's just, it is really interesting to think about like the first time you've thought about death, you know, or something that's like abstract that like kind of like no one knows. So that, that hit me when, uh, when I was watching this episode. That's amazing insight. Like to me, what other, and obviously I'm biased, but what other series goes into something so deep and almost has an answer for it on the third episode of a, of a series. Like I couldn't think of anything else. Breaking Bad, he has cancer early on and has to deal with that. But that's kind of the normal cycle of, I say normal, but it's, you know, he finds out he has it. He makes erratic decisions. He's depressed about it, whatever. But I mean, I think go, this is just such a more meaningful level. And, you know, 45 minutes we learn about it. I think it's, I think it's really amazing. Yeah, I mean, Lost has like polar bears in the third episode, and they're on they're on an island. They're like in Hawaii, so that's pretty deep too. I'm sure that I'm sure. That, isn't there like deep things about purgatory and, and everything like that in Lost? No, it's just no, it's just stupid. Just time travel. <laughs> yeah, just polar bears. No, the writers have to know what they're have an idea of what they're saying for there to be any meaning in it. In my humble opinion. 
and they didn't i mean i've i've read the i haven't i've seen maybe like one episode of lost but i read the when someone's going to create a tv series they create what's called like the tv series bible and that like outlines it so you bring it to the network or the station and you know have all the characters and like your first few episode breakdown and so i've read the version of lost for that and man it's it's a crap shoot they didn't know what they were doing they're like we don't know what we're doing going into this and that's part of the fun like you know this is what we think it's going to be and maybe that did make it fun but i mean like you said drew it's just probably got confusing yeah it's just like the first three <laughs> seasons and then you're just like how are they gonna tie oh no none of this is getting gonna get tied up at all <laughs> and then it's like no they're in purgatory and you're like hours hours of my life gone in purgatory watching the show <laughs> so, so there's no Sopranos spoilers here, but there are lost spoilers if our viewers didn't figure that out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's I mean, that's fine. Who's gonna who's gonna invest in Lost these days? It's like I can watch any series. I'm gonna start with how many seasons are there? It's like I don't know, seven or something. Yeah. Yeah, no way. Um so from ther- therapy, you know, Tony reaches this point you know he says if all this shit's for nothing why do i have to think about it which is just really powerful line but then he goes to see meadow and choir and as he's even arriving there you get a sense of some sort of enjoyment in him and we'll get into that in a second here but we embark on this godfather-like sequence which drew if i say like the baptism sequence in the godfather do you even know because it's in culture (laughs) and things like that this is what i've been talking about this whole episode no i i I know it no no i don't (laughs) i was just wondering um so it is it's a godfather-esque sequence where like the the choir music plays over these these very serious gangster events but christopher gets picked up by a couple russian thugs that was a nice touch christopher tipping the guy you know christopher has some likable traits uh unlike brendan so he, he tips the guy pretty good but then they bring him out to the dock he thinks it's because he sold Meadow Crystal Meth. He thinks Tony's going to kill him for that. Uh, did you guys? I mean, did you guys think at all that Christopher was going to die here? I honestly didn't. Um, I, I didn't think Junior would go go that far. Um, but I thought it was really interesting how he caved pretty quickly on like just confessing. But also, I couldn't tell. Did those Russians know how to speak English? So like, did they even like hear him? So you're thinking that you know. Christopher is confessing that he sold crystal meth to Meadow and they heard that. Yeah. And I'm thinking like, what are the ramifications of that? Mm. We'll have to find out. Cause now Junior's going to be freaking out. It's like, Oh shit. I just confessed to something. And I don't even know if that's what it was all oh, about. Christopher, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They just, they leave. I thought that was him freaking out. was, was a really good scene. And then Mikey, uh, Junior's guy kills Brendan Filoni in the bathtub. He says hijack, you know, like a reference to hijacking the trucks by Jack and then shoots him, which I thought that was a dumb last line to say to someone like, this is the last thing they're going to hear. And, and that's all you got. Drew, what would you have said in that situation? Last line. Did someone call a plumber? I'm just <laughs> I don't know. It, me thinking of something clever will extend the episode to, to my two and a half hour limit. <laughs> so just, I don't know. I, I, didn't, I, I didn't really, I, you know, with all the the middle school jokes about like, you know, gay jokes that 
he makes to Tony Soprano and back and forth. I think, I think that was, he was really hitting his stride with, with the hijack by Jack line. It didn't bother me too much. It's in character for him. I, I wasn't wrong. I wasn't angry at the writing. I was just angry at Mikey. Like that's all you came up with. Uh, <laughs> and then juniors in the room with him, which I thought was stupid. Just like who goes with your guy when they're going like, to commit a hit. But anyway, yeah, it's like, we get it. Junior set that up. Yeah. Like they, he didn't even have to be there. We know Mikey works for junior, <laughs> but <laughs> He's just like, I'm going to come up into yeah. the apartment in case someone, you know, sees us together. Um, and then last scene back at the the choir recital where, you know, Tony seems to be enjoying himself. He might not be happy, but he's found this semblance of happiness, I think. So, Drew, is this the meaning of life at the end? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. They, they come in and it's just like you see like all the flaws in Tony's life. Like Christopher is, you know, almost killed his daughter is singing on crystal meth even though he's like proud of her and probably doesn't know it and then he he walks in and everyone's wearing their like black suits or tuxes or whatever they're wearing and carmela's in her bright red dress and it's like here it is like his family and oh red dress nice you guys didn't, did you guys catch that no i did i didn't really uh, yeah everybody's everybody's wearing black and then she's just wearing this like crimson red dress and uh you know it's like this is this is your meaning of life like your family and um you know what (laughs) what joy can you get out of it which from what we've seen in their relationship seems like him and carmel have their ups and downs with uh Mm -hmm. (laughs) with the relationship which everybody does but you know it's like this is the meaning of life so what can what can you do with it like even his seeing his kids with with their flaws, you know, being on crystal meth while you're singing a <laughs> recital. That was a nice touch. She was like tapping her fingers and stuff and like looking different directions is, is a nice touch. Shut yeah. It didn't seem to affect her singing, but I mean, you know, there's always flaws in your kids and your marriage, but what, <laughs> what enjoyment can you get? She didn't, she didn't come in early or anything. Just yeah. Being on meth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Finishes her solo like a minute early. We're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I thought Tony was going to pick up on that. Like, oh, and then like they just see him show his face and he's just frowning, but obviously he was not picking up on it. Yeah. Maybe he would have under different conditions too, but he was probably going through an emotional roller coaster. Any other thoughts at the end of the episode, Josh? One, one thing I did have did notice was when uh, Carmelo and Tony were, he was trying to like get all handsy and show love and she did it for like a second and then pulled away. Um, I thought that was interesting, but obviously oh, probably, at, the, at the end, yeah, uh, oh, and nice. that probably has something to do with what, uh, uh, what she was told earlier about him and yeah, uh, what's her name? Charmaine. Yeah. Charmaine. Um, also it, there was like a side look, like as Tony came to sit down next to Carmela, like the person next to Carmela, whom we don't know, like gives him a side glance to just, I think, you know, knowing Tony's reputation. I thought that was a nice touch. Let's get into our intermezzo. For this week, the question is, what other TV series are contenders for the best ever? What I was thinking about this question the whole time, and um, I know we touched on it in the first one, but it keeps making me think like Seinfeld. Seinfeld was kind of like the perfect show um, for certain demographics, I guess, but it, every episode is very well written. It shows kind of like, it's a very selfish perspective. It's kind of like everybody does what, everybody would want to do in the situation 
Um, and I think it lasted the perfect length. One of the top ones up there for me, at least, is, is definitely Seinfeld. 100% agree with you. And in, in a comedy world, I think, I mean, Seinfeld is almost as good as The Sopranos and it, a parallel universe. I think it's tough to beat a drama, but I love it as well. Any others? Uh, I guess from a drama, I mean, the first like six seasons of Game of Thrones, <laughs> um, but you got to include the whole thing. I think it's important to talk about Game of Thrones because a lot, a lot of centennials, millennials are going to think that's a contender. I mean, that's their favorite show of all time for sure. Yeah, they just did such a poor job with that last season. <laughs> it's un- it was remarkable. Yeah, it, the the last couple, I was, I was, I think the first two, I was like, oh my god, this is my favorite show for sure. Uh, you know, and then I think after that, I still really enjoyed it for a few seasons, and then you know, every season it just got worse after that. Drew, what about you? Yeah, I got it. Just my favorite is The Wire, and I think it is uh, so good. The characters are so captivating. The way that they like run through this kind of like meta perspective of everything, running through the papers, like the school system. I just was, I love the characters. I thought the number of flaws in it were pretty minimal, which is funny thinking about as we like pick through each episode of the Sopranos, you're like, Oh, this show's flawless. And then, you know, it's just like, Oh, this no art is like perfect, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it just ended when it needed to, there was like a couple, I had a couple gripes with like the last season. I actually really liked the second season, which was like critically like the most, uh, people are the most critical of that one. But I just thought it was really good. But did you know the second season was the most watched season? Oh, I did not know because that. Because it had it was the one that focused on white people more. And so there's like definitely some backlash or just wow. like oh. I had no idea. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, no, I just I just really enjoyed it. I, and I was really sad when the series ended, which to go back to the beginning of this episode of what makes the greatest TV show, I guess it's just, you know, your emotional connection. Mm-hmm. I also really like um shows that are subtle you know like breaking bad and what do you mean subtle for breaking bad i don't know just when things like like when things aren't so over the top or so in your face mm-hmm. when there's like la- there's layers so watching it multiple times you're not getting everything like the first time breaking bad it is so good but it's not entirely subtle it's on the nose yeah, yeah. and then and then game of thrones like i loved like in the first seasons when their battles are kind of more realistic. Like I'm sure t- t- fighting in that much armor is <laughs> pretty tough. After getting stabbed in the stomach and wounded four times. <laughs> you're like, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then like towards the end, it's just like dual sorting, fighting, like on swimming fire while simultaneously, like in, you know, some <laughs> kind of, you know, right. above the wall or whatever. I, I think the wi- the wire I've gone back and forth with between the Sopranos or the wire and which is better. I think wire has fewer flaws in the Sopranos, but yeah, I, I think the Sopranos is better now, which as we're going through this, I might, I might change my opinion, but that's a great one. I think breaking bad is a contender for a lot of people. I, I think it's probably about my like fifth favorite show or so, but it is a contender. Um, and then Mad Men too. I think Mad Men has, the layer it's on the level of layers of the Sopranos, uh, the dramatic interactions, Matthew Weiner, who created Mad Men came from the writing room of the Sopranos. And he said, you know, Mad Men wouldn't have been what it was 
at least in just dealing with relationships without the Sopranos. So those are the ones I'm going to say. Mad Men, Breaking Bad. We shouted out, Josh, you said Game of Thrones, Seinfeld, and then Drew, you said The Wire, right? Those are good contenders, I think. All right. So to finish our Coppola criteria, uh, let's get into the pitfalls. So for me, these are the ones I, I noticed when I was watching it. Starting with Junior being in the room when Brendan is shot. We already touched touched on that. Um, you know, put him at home. Have Mikey call him after the hit or just don't put him there at all. People know that Mikey works for Junior, so I thought that was dumb. We talked. We touched on this too, but Brendan has no real relatable traits. Like he doesn't necessarily have to be likable, but as a character, he is just like this angry, reckless, says everything that's stupid. And he wasn't really given anything like, like Christopher tipped the ice cream guy. And, you know, Christopher has shown some, some sense of loyalty to Tony. And so that really separated them too. You guys agree about Brendan? Yeah. I think everybody has some kind of likable qualities. Also, he didn't seem like a good fit in um in the crew it was like mm-hmm. if you're gonna ha- have a somewhat organized crime that guy is a definition of like disorganized and just not a team player <laughs> reckless yeah. like, I, don't, I don't even know how you got like i don't even know how you got an invite or a tryout i don't know how that works but yeah you think tony just like no no <laughs> <laughs> i think he kind of i think he just tagged along with christopher on stuff and like neither of those were made guys or anything. So I don't know how much of an end he had. Yeah. Tony might've should have probably put his foot down a little bit strong, stronger, but I don't know if he was invited to the crew per se. Like he's not hanging out at the pork store with like Silvio and Hesh and Polly and those guys. Uh, the high school scenes are, are a little nineties for me still like Sopranos hadn't hit its stride. It seemed like in every like meadow scene, she's just saying exactly what's, what's on her mind. Like we need to study for the SATs. So there's no subtlety in those. Did you guys have any other pitfalls? Yeah, I think maybe the, the opening scene with Christopher, just like (laughs) shouting Tony Soprano's name, then just like three gun blasts. It's like, come on, you guys, you were just like scolded for this kind of behavior, (laughs) you know, like you're not seven. Do you think that is a pitfall of the writers or do you think that's a just, like, do you think that was in line with Chris? Yeah, I guess character? I don't know. I would, you, I would think that Chris knows better, but maybe they're just like doing bumps on the way there. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, the pitfalls are ones I think the writers fell into, and I, I bought that 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 was still behind Chris's character. Yeah, it's, and then I was gonna say the only other pitfall I have is yeah, just the, um, like super bad in Lady Bird, the way that they portray high school culture is just like so on point and i feel like so many other shows and movies just like cannot do it and it's like all right this is like everyone's been through fucking high school <laughs> so how are we not like able to right portray it better 100 percent. josh you have any pitfalls and the only other one would be tony having to call uh, the other jewish guy to get some ideas on yeah. how to get the guy to talk talk it's like come on dude you've Obviously, probably been through this situation before, but I don't know. It just increases the character relationship between uh, uh, the Jewish guy and Tony. It was kind of funny too. Yeah, it's it's a good to explore that relationship. But yeah, I'm with you. They, yeah, they didn't really torture the guy that much, which maybe they weren't supposed to because they agreed not to. But 
I guess then they do threaten to castrate him. So I, I don't know. Um, so that was a little confusing. So in the awards section, let's. I have two decisions that Tony made. Um, so I want to get our grades on those to see if we thought that those were good decisions. The first was how he handled the whole situation with the Titlemans and the motel too. So how he went about that. If you guys think it was good, it was good. He kept the motel at the end and, and things like that. Josh, what grade would you give that? I'd give it a B. Um, I think it was good for him to diversify into the hotel business, but I wouldn't want uh, those partners. They seem like miserable people to work with. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I think he might have rushed into it, but I think he should have actually passed on the whole opportunity. Um, I don't know how much money a motel brings in, but um, yeah. I, guess, I, guess, I guess it was enough to go out of his way and and maybe this falls into the category of just you know mob scene of the of the week just filling it through well yeah i mean it's 25 percent, and he doesn't have to do anything right or i I guess he you know has to enforce things sometimes but i think that money's just going to come into him drew what grade would you give it yeah i guess i'd give it a b as well that's what i was thinking and not just because Josh said that. <laughs> I was actually going to give it a B as well. Yeah, that's what like, I was thinking. <laughs> I mean, I guess, yeah, as you're, as you're uh, uh, my boss, you got to diversify your investments. Um, and then the other decision he had, just to reflect on it before, but burning down the restaurant and the pilot when he burned down Artie's restaurant so that guy wouldn't be whacked there. Do you think there was, reflecting on it now, do you guys think there was a better decision? Or something else he should have done. Seeing how much he cares for him, um, I think he's definitely thinking there was a better decision to be made. And he, I, I feel like he didn't explore the avenues with Junior enough to be like, "Hey, this is why I want this to have it, you know, not happen here." Um, but I don't know. I still think of the insurance money might come through, or Tony's just going to bankroll him at, at some point. So I think in Tony's eyes, he's—I don't think he's regretting it all too much because. I think he sees the future of either, oh, well, he will get the insurance money or I'll get him to take my money somehow. Mm-hmm. What about you, Drew? Yeah, I don't know. His job kind of seems like being president or something where it's just like, all right, rocking a hard place, go. Like, it's just <laughs> over and over. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it's just like what, yeah, have your have your friend have a murder happen, mm-hmm. option A or option B, you know, like destroy the the scene (laughs) so yeah i agree i don't think there i don't i can't think of a better decision and and tony's offering to you know help him with new investments and things like that for better or worse we'll see how that works out but so another for best death this week um again we're going to be tallying these across the season to see which is going to be the best of the season but we just have brendan filoni's desk death um he gets it in the eye which is like mo green and the godfather um so extra extra points for a subtle Godfather reference, I think. Best comedy and best drama scenes. I'm happy to to uh, just each nominate one. Yeah, I've 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 had one in mind that I thought was pretty funny. It's more of like a one liner. Um, okay, that kind of cracked me up. It was when, um, uh, who was the character? Was it a uh, was it Polly or Silvio? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. What what oh, happened? No, no, no. It, was, it was it was it was Polly. And he goes, <laughs> right after they made the deal with the Hasidic Jews, he goes, Hasidic, uh, Hasidic, but I don't believe it. Hasidic, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't believe it. <laughs> that was good. So best comedy mo- moment, what would you nominate, Drew? 
I like when they're um, when they're beating him up for the first time and they say, say Bolkus Polly. That's how they say nothing. It's just like the, the back and forth between them. And they are just kind of like gangster dorks uh, <laughs> while, while gruesomely beating up this person. <laughs> what was yours, Jerry? Mine, so I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if this was comedy or drama either, but it was when Livia okays the hit on Brendan. I love the moment where she's telling Junior, like she loves him like a son. You know, he... Uh, he put up my storm windows that one year. And that's like why she remembers and why she, why she loves them. And then she okays the hit on Brenda. You know, this Filoni, I don't know. It's, I thought it was a great moment. Uh, so best drama moment. I like the, uh, the ending scene. Um, I, and I guess if you can't, cause they're like cutting to each part, but mm-hmm. I felt like that was just like really powerful. If, if that doesn't count as one, fluid scene which i think it would then i'd guess the scene before where tony's talking to milfi with the acceptance therapy yeah. session and if all, if all this shit's for nothing why do i have to think about it um that's a great you can do a sequence so it's really the best sequence too so that that yeah. ending i don't know i think that i think the last one where uh um the last sequence where they're playing the opera music and they're going through tony's life christopher almost being murdered brendan being murdered I, I, I like that one. Yeah, I think that is a good su- sequence. I like the one where uh, Tony had just struck the motel deal, goes to the hospital and sees Jackie and it's kind of coming over him that he's really not doing well. He, you know, he's got a high fever. Jackie's just mumbling, speaking nonsense. And it's kind of like he's coming to share all this good news with his boss and best friend. And it's like, damn. You know, it's all crumbling, even though I think I'm trying to build something. I, I just thought it was kind of interesting juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. And um, that was one of my more favorite scenes. Yeah, I thought that was really powerful, too. And I love both of those. Those are probably my top three. I'll throw in, uh, Drew, you mentioned this briefly, too. But the his Tony's last therapy session, which is, you know, when he accepts Jackie's death. Um, and where Tony and Melfi both reflect on life. And then Tony also admires the Hasidic Jews for standing up for something and being brave. I thought that was just a really powerful, powerful scene. All right. So to wrap it up, I mean, we mentioned this before, but I mean, did you guys think this, this heavy topic was too much for a mainstream TV show? You think it turned people away? I don't think so. I mean, I, I I was interested by it. um, And I think it's very, as I said earlier, I think it's very relatable. Drew, anything else to say on it? No, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought, I, yeah, I, I thought the that this is where this was like the best episode, and and that's saying something because the two previous ones, like the scenes with Livia, are just so yeah, so 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 novel and so 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 wonderful. Absolutely, yeah. She was barely in it, and it was still it was still a great episode. So, Josh, you nailed it on Brendan. You know, predicting his death. Do you have any? predictions on where things are going to go from here i didn't have any true visions of of what's going to happen next but uh i sense things are going to heat up between even more so between uh junior and tony uh, i think some retaliation is going to have to come forth um and i think we're really going to be able to see uh tony's uh chris christopher really start to grow and, and uh really embrace his role as i would tony's uh protege in a way and i think he's really going to straighten his act out because he's going to see like oh shit if i don't clean myself up i'm going to get myself killed and we also know that he does not want to die 
<laughs> <laughs> he made that clear. He made that clear on the docs. Yeah. So I think he's going to have some, some work, some things to work through, especially what he confessed. But, um, I think this is probably, you know, a second chance for him and I think he's going to embrace it. Do you have any just, and you don't, it's okay if you don't, any just like long shot opinions, like this person is not going to survive the series or this X, Y, and Z. Um, definitely juniors Hitman. I see he's probably going to get killed at some point. Um, and then, you know, super long shot. I think Jackie's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But, All right. But, play, but, playing it safe. Yeah. But as of, as of now, I mean, I know people are going to die, but it's, it's too hard to predict when and where, in my opinion. All right. I was just seeing, I was seeing if you want to throw something out there to see if it's stick, but we'll, we'll see next week if anything changes from there. All right. Thanks everyone for listening. You can find old podcasts as well as original scripts I've written at jaredbackins.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter if you like at Josh hasn't seen the Sopranos. If this is your first time watching the Sopranos like Josh, we want to hear from you. So give us a shout either on the website or Twitter. I'm always convinced also, Josh, that you're spouting off false trivia. Just I think it started when we were in the um, at your lake house that one that one day, too. So. If anyone, if you guys, if Josh says anything incorrect too, so definitely give us a shout on Twitter or the website to see if that's going to bite, bite me in the butt though. It's, it's going to be like, actually, Jared, all the things you're saying are just wrong. <laughs> now, now, now you're making me second guess the old uh, astrology, astronomy. Uh, no, you're definitely right. <laughs> I mean, like half the things I'm saying, I, I don't have a clue to, um, Drew, where can we find you? Yeah. The, on uh, Instagram, Drew Draws, and uh, my website's drewmaddenart.com. I've been given other Instagram and uh, website addresses, but I own both. So Nice. Drew Draws is your Instagram? Yeah. Josh, have you thought about changing your name so people don't find you to send you spoilers? <laughs> I'm pretty. Uh, I'm pretty hard to find on social media. Uh, I do consider myself an, a micro influencer, but you really have to. You really have to be in my circle. So, <laughs> don't find me. Do you? Do a lot of people have your last name? Um, in like the world. Yeah, like if people are searching, are they? Do they have an easy time finding you? I, I don't know. Um, I know my last name is. All right, we'll, we'll test that out and get back. We'll get back on it next week. If you have to change your Facebook name, we'll address that. (laughs) All right. Awesome, guys. I'm pumped to see next episode. Can't wait to chat with you guys about it. All right. See you guys next week.